Welcome to another episode of Making Magic with your host, Bradley Morris from Magic Media. This is the go-to show for purpose-driven creators to get inspired with innovative new ideas to produce your educational content, build thriving online communities, and turn your message into a movement. All right, everybody, welcome to the show today. I have a friend and a very special guest, the one and only Tad Hargrave from Marketing for Hippies, who has been supporting conscious creators to market and sell their offerings in beautiful, non-yucky ways. Man, what's it been? Like, are you 17, 18 years? How long has it been, Tad? A long time. (laughs) For me, for my business, it's been full-time since 2006 but i probably really got going around 2001 or two so it's been a while way to go yeah well i uh i appreciate you taking some time today to just come have a conversation about uh marketing and about point of view and i'm sure we'll touch on niching i mean you're uh this is a, a space of your mastery but before we dive into all those directions, I'd love to just start the conversation with, uh, in your life's work these days, what's, what really has you the most excited? Uh, oh man. Well, you know, it's interesting. There's kind of structural stuff and then there's content stuff. Structurally, the membership, which you of course helped me build, uh, I'm loving. We're just constantly tinkering with it, um, improving it, organizing it and, uh, that is so exciting for me to to see that build. Uh, it's just slowly growing. In this last semester, we've had a little over seventy people join the membership, which is fantastic. Yeah, um, and feeling like the processes are very smooth. And anyway, so that the structure I'm nerding out on that. So happy to hear about that. That's wonderful. Yeah, and then content-wise, it's the point of view marketing stuff, and particularly this new thing, which you've never heard before, because it's just like a month or two old, is this idea of the three cases. And so if, if anyone's heard me talk about point of view marketing before, one of the things I say often is that the purpose of marketing, we're not fundamentally trying to make the case for them to hire us. We're making the case for a perspective or a point of view. But I realized that that, case that we make has to be broken into three chunks uh, with different purposes, different intentions. Yeah. So the first case, so it's basically diagnosis, prognosis, prescription. Those are the three cases. And each one of them has to be made, I think, in order for people to feel really good about buying. And another way to say it, if we don't make any of those three cases, the chances of them spending money with us drop dramatically. So the diagnosis is us making the case of just what's happening. Yeah, at the uh, at the underneath the hood level, your car's making a funny noise, but what's actually happening in the car? So this is the um, what's the stuff that they're not aware of? What are their blind spots? What are the spells that they're under? What are the things that they can't see which are causing their current troubles? That's what they pay us for. Fundamentally, is a is a diagnosis. It's very rare that they come to us saying, I know this is my problem. Yeah. And can you help me with it? Sometimes maybe they're just coming for implementation, but even, but it's usually not that because they could just hire an an executive assistant or somebody to do the implementation if they really understood it. It's more often than not, it's translation into their, like I get the theory, but how does this apply? 
but so then that could be our diagnosis. Aha, you're missing help translating this into your situation. You have all the theory, but you're struggling. Yeah, that's it. That's why I'm struggling. So that's the first thing. It's just that and the simple, simple two-word question is what's happening for them. They're coming to you. And of course, this presumes there's a niche. This presumes you have some sense of who you want to work with. So if we imagine doing a presentation or a sales letter, that's the most important thing they want to know. People mistake um, what's, they're confused about what's needed in a situation. When somebody comes to us in pain, the thing they want most is a diagnosis because they usually don't know why they're in pain. What they don't want is us to build a relationship with them and rapport and all this. They couldn't care less, you know, um, and they don't want to have us solve a different, smaller problem to prove our credibility. They just want to know, why am I hurting now? If you go to see a doctor, you know, you're scared you might have cancer or something. The doctor's just like, hey, well, before we go to that, I'd love to get to know you a bit. You have any pets? I got a pet and a dog. His name's Bowser. We, you know, they had him for, for 80 years. He's a very old dog. And like, nobody cares. You're just saying like, I'm terrified. I'm scared and I want to know what's really happening. Or I'm overwhelmed, or I'm, uh, yeah. So what's happening? This is most of it. This is, out of all the cases, this is really 80, 90% of it. It's just getting a clear read on that. Number two is the prognosis. And the prognosis is what's likely. So this is where we just get to be very candid and say, look, uh, if you don't do anything about this, if you ignore this, here's where this is likely to go. Uh, and if you do handle it well, then it could go here to this other place. And this, the, the key phrase I would underline in this one in particular is it's look, whether or not you work with me, different conversation. I'm just saying in situations like this, when I see that people don't handle it, at this little health symptom, here's what it can turn into long-term. With the relationship troubles, I'm seeing this, you're talking about this dynamic in your relationship. We've got the diagnosis, we know what's happening. You know, you've got anger issues or you're withholding stuff or you're judging or uh, you're constantly undercutting your partner. Okay, here's where this tends to go. You know, what's likely? It's not utterly um, deterministic or fatalistic. It's not here's the guarantee. It's just chances are. And we're sort of giving people the scope of here's um, here are the possibilities and here are the limitations. And what's going to happen for you will be probably somewhere in this range. And this is where it's so important that we're candid. You know, the, the intention of the diagnosis is to be accurate. The intention of the prognosis is to be realistic. Because if we overhype it out of fear, or here's what's possible, and it's, you know, this is the classic you and I see a lot of, of the, uh, you know, build a six-figure business in 30 days and from scratch and it's just a not realistic situation and so many people get burned and the third is of course the prescription which is the smallest part so it's almost like a pyramid most of it is the diagnosis there's some prognosis the very little tip is the prescription but the prescription is our sense of what's needed and again you would say something like look whether or not you work with me here's what i think is needed in your situation here's here's the general approach that i would most recommend there's other people that maybe do this or something similar, but this is the, how I would do it, whether or not you hire. So we have to make a case for what's happening, what's likely, and what's needed in this situation. 
And I think everything in point of view marketing kind of fits within one of those three cases. I love part of your mastery in this realm is how you break it down so simply for people to understand, to create a formula for somebody to follow that can apply to website copy or email marketing or how they tell a story on their social media if they're trying to relate and connect and, and share with their audience. Uh, I'm just curious for yourself, based on these formulas, if you can maybe offer some some ex real world examples of how you've been applying it or seeing some of the students inside of Marketing for Hippies membership using it to to do their email marketing or social media marketing, just to offer some real world samples. Yeah. Um, so for my own business, diagnosis would be, uh, right. So they come to me, first of all, the problem they have is marketing feels gross and terrible. And I don't want to do what the other marketing people are saying because it just feels so awful. That's that's the problem. So my take on why that's happening is because, well, it's because your hidden agenda and it's hidden, that's the first problem, uh, is to go for the sale instead of going for the truth of is this a fit or not. That's the main thing. You have a hidden agenda to get the sale. That's why it feels bad fundamentally. That's the diagnosis. The prognosis is, well, if you keep trying that marketing approach, I mean, one of two things is going to happen. Most likely, you will stop doing it at some point and just kind of stop marketing you'll avoid it because marketing just feels so terrible. And this will, of course, lead to you going broke and possibly out of business uh, quicker than you think. Or worse, you'll keep doing it and you just have to take the Novocaine for your soul to, to numb out your conscience for what you're doing. And you will really fundamentally lose yourself in the process until you hit a breaking point, uh, which most people do. So that would be my prognosis. And then the prescription is, right, instead of going for the truth, or the, the sale, we go for the truth of is this a fit or not. And, you know, we here's this pyramid I have, you know, of, uh, ethics at the bottom, niching, point of view marketing, business model, and hubs. And that's what's needed. You need those five things in that order, basically, to grow your business. So that would be an example of um, from my own business. And uh, there's a woman, Jan Blake, who's a storyteller from the UK, from Manchester. And so people come to her saying, well, I want to be a better storyteller. And maybe the problems they have are, I notice I'm, I'm doing some storytelling and I'm sort of losing the audience. I can tell they're not so great. Like when I see youth storytelling, Jan, people are just on the edge of their seats. But when I'm doing it, they're sort of, you know, distracted and they don't seem to be so impressed. And, and or I just feel so nervous telling stories. Yeah. So then the diagnosis she has is she's got a whole map of the storyteller's body. Um, but the fundamental thing, one of her things is the reason that you might not be coming across well is because you're, you're too concerned with how you're being perceived. And for a lot of people, this is they're trying to appear uh, to the audience like they're the wise old storyteller. And they've got their velvet robes and their story stick. And they've got this sort of pantomime caricature cartoon version. And it's that posturing creates this separation between them and the audience. So maybe let's just say that's the core fundamental diagnosis, but much more deep, deeply, if we go into that, she's got this map of the body. And so we've got two arms. And one of those is to embrace, embrace everyone in the story. The other one is to embrace 
everyone in the audience. Then we have two legs. And one of those legs is uh, fully rooted in the story. The other one is fully rooted on the stage in front of the audience. And that you have to be able to straddle those two worlds and be in both at the same time. And then there's your hips. And that's for, you know, adjusting and moving, you know, dancing with the audience. And then there's the your throat, of course, which is your voice, which you use for the story as a tool. Uh, and a few other pieces. But so even that's diagnostic. It's like, well, are you judging people in the audience? And are you judging people in the story? Well, then this is part of the problem. The prognosis, right. If you don't handle this and don't learn some of the craft of storytelling, there's other things I think she would combine of skills and tools and capacities you need. But if you don't get this together, if you keep just trying to be the wise storyteller, no one will ever take you seriously. You're never going to have the impact that you want to have. Uh, if you want to be a professional storyteller, maybe, but you're just not going to get the response that you're craving. Uh, and it'll frustrate you and drive you nuts because you can't figure out why. Because you're just doubling down on the same shtick. And then um, the right prescription, well, she has a whole course on storytelling, walking people through here's the steps that you need to go through. You know, from, well, first you need to pick the right story. And you need to really learn that story and explore it a lot. And you need to uh, practice the skills. And here's the several skills of storytelling that you need to have. So it's beautiful stuff that she does. And But you, you can see what I'm saying. If she just got up on stage and said, look, I'm a really good storyteller. And I've got a course and you should sign up. Basically, they're saying, well, trust me, which is the least trustworthy thing we can say in marketing versus, hey, um, I trust you to make a decision, but let me show you something I trust. Here's this philosophy I've come, and this just seems to be old reliable, these ideas. Let me share my most trustworthy ideas with you, and then you decide what you want to do. Which is the beauty of the point of view marketing, is it's basically saying, well, here's, here are my thoughts, over to you. What do you think we should do? Of course, this doesn't mean don't have a good offer, don't really think through the price, uh, don't come up with something as valuable as you can. That, too. Obviously, we have that as well, but that's not the, um, that comes after the point of view, because if they don't buy the concept, they're not going to buy the course. If they don't buy the premise, they won't buy the program. If they don't buy your message, they're not going to buy anything you're selling. Mm -hmm. It fundamentally starts there. That that's the case we have to make is for this perspective and understanding. And within that, we have to make those three separate cases that build sequentially upon each other. Uh, how, I'm just so curious about your own creative process because a, a lot of what I get into with this podcast is, is the creative process. And so, you know, I know you've been doing this for years, but how, what is your process for refining these types of practical marketing methods down to the essence here that you're you're sharing because you're it sounds so simple the way that you're sharing here i think i don't know i mean that this this the three cases sort of appeared for me yeah one day i just i think i was thinking a lot about diagnosis one of my clients i do puttering sessions with he's a coach and we were just having a lot of conversations his, his beef of the coaching industry is there's so little time spent in diagnosis and there should be a lot of time before any advice is given just do we actually even know what the problem is mm. and it struck me boy that's that's true in uh 
in marketing and this point of view piece and how, how few people actually have a really good diagnosis and that that leads to the prescription but I realized, oh wait, there's also the prognosis. That's an important piece of this. And I don't know, then I've been thinking about it and it just sort of landed and I just started typing and all the ideas came, you know, of everything that fits under those three columns. Uh, and because I, you know, I've had other ways I've talked about uh, point of view marketing with this point of view pyramid and the map, the compass and the road. Um, and those, I, I'm realizing those are the main tools that we use, but it's not the cases that we're making. Um, so I, I can't explain it, but that this one just sort of landed and has really changed all my, the way I'm talking about point of view. That's, that's how I go about it now, instead of going into the, I, I found also um, maybe part of the creative process was I noticed when I did the map compass and route, it was so confusing for people. People, what's the difference between the map and the route? And, uh, wait, what's the compass again? And what, it just got, I, I noticed people got so lost and I noticed I also struggled to explain it. Intuitively, mm -hmm. I understood. I could look at somebody's something and say, okay, well, that's kind of this and here's how it fits. But there was this question of what are we aiming at with these things? Why do we have a map? Why do we come up with these core principles? What, what, why the route? Why do people need it? And from those questions, I think a lot of this came of, ah, that's what we're aiming at. When we have a map, what we're trying to help people see is what's happening, right? Because if you can imagine like a, if it's a pie chart divided into three, there's one third of the pie, which is, this is all the stuff they're aware of. They come to us with their symptoms and they probably have some sense of what's going on. They're not completely clueless usually. You know, they call me up, oh, I'm struggling with my niche. Now they may not know exactly why they're struggling with their niche. They may not realize they're also lacking a point of view and all the other things, but they come with some things they're aware of. Yep. Uh, then there's this stuff that they are unaware of, and this is what they pay us for. Uh, and this is all the point of view, the hidden stuff. These are their blind spots. Um, and again, as I was saying earlier, the blind spot might be, I get the theory, but I don't know how to translate it. Perfect. And then the third one is mysterious shit that neither of us understand. And that should actually be almost all of the pie chart. Yeah. Uh, but it's just good to acknowledge that there's a, there's a limit to what we know. There's a, there's a very big limit to what they know. There's a smaller limit. We know more than them on this thing. But there's, there's so little we know about it in the big picture. So the, the piece of what they're aware of this builds the relevance for them. Um, those are the parts of the map they are aware of. Oh yes, I've been to that part of the city. I recognize those landmarks. That's still on the map. And then there's a bunch of stuff they don't know is on the map. And that's what we help them to see. And then there's a bunch of stuff neither of us know about. It's the unexplored and undiscovered country. Uh, but what we come to them with is say, well, we have, so that one third of the pie, that's fundamentally where point of view marketing happens is here's the stuff you don't know about because otherwise if somebody says yeah you know i work with people who i don't know want to lose weight say, well yeah they should go do that why do they need you you see what i'm saying like they know what they want they got more weight than they want they want to lose weight oh they want to gain weight oh well they should do that too no problem like but of course it's not that simple but why isn't it so simple because they know what they want 
So they should just be able to take action and do it. Uh -huh. But there's all this stuff they don't know. They've probably tried it before and it hasn't worked. Certain things have uh, slipped or it just never happened, hit roadblocks. And again, if we take point of view out of it, it's just, well, yeah, I mean, of course there's roadblocks. So you just keep persevering, try again. But the reason people don't is they're just um, confused. And this is one of the big reasons for point of view marketing, I think, is that being in pain is, is, is rough. Not knowing why you're in pain is intolerable. This is where people really uh, break yeah. because, you know, if you're in a relationship and this happens when and somebody maybe is in a partnership with somebody who has a very severe mental illness, a borderline personality. And let's say you don't realize that this person actually carries a lot of trauma and is has resulted in what we would call borderline personality disorder. Well, if you don't know that that's what's going on for them, the level of despair and hopelessness you'll feel, well, you'll think it's you. You're doing something wrong. And you just beat yourself up all the time about it. Oh, it's so terrible. And But if somebody could come along and say, well, look, your partner actually has a severe amount of trauma. Uh, and here's the parental dynamic that tends to result in what we would call borderline. And so they're going to make you the best person and then the worst person. Their, their nervous system is so on edge and everything's very black and white for them. And so here's how you can love them and take care of them, but also take care of yourself in the process. And here's what's yours as your responsibility, but here's what's theirs. And, you know, and here's how you can navigate this. Oh my God, you just want to weep with relief. Oh, somebody has seen the pattern in what's happening. There's a name for this. There's a, or, you know, with the attachment styles and relationships. Couples just have the hardest time. It's like, ah, well, you're anxious and you're avoidant. And, uh, you know, classic. And here's the, and, and, and you sit there, you know, hearing a talk about this and you're looking at each other just like, is he spying on us? <laughs> How can he so accurately lay out the dynamic? Or, you know, John, John Gray, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. This whole, well, men tend to be like this, women tend to be like this. And I can just tell you, I've sat in an audience while he was speaking and seen nothing but just nodding from couples around them. And, the, and relief in the, on their faces of, oh, there's a pattern here that makes sense. It's not just random chaos um, of suffering with no purpose or reason or cause. That's, uh, that's beautiful uh, and so true, so true. Uh, I'm curious for you with your business or the businesses of, of all the people that you're coaching regularly, um, what marketing methods are you seeing to be most effective these days for yourself or for others? Like what, what actual marketing tactics are you seeing working this these days? Cause the world's changing quickly. There's, there's a lot of things that are changing. I'm just curious yourself what's working it's the same thing that's always worked you know there's going to be new applications every year there'll be some new killer app there'll be some new social media i mean how old is tiktok yeah they're brand new right and yet just <sighs> took over um and so of course so much of what's going to be the best tactic will depend on 
what the business is and who they're trying to reach. But there's always going to be some new thing. Now there's ChatGPT and there's going to be more AI, which I'm actually, uh, I'm both terrified and thrilled about. Terrified of just, I've seen these movies. I've seen where they end. <laughs> um, Skynet taking over or whatever. But the, okay. So let's say you decided for your um, career, you're going to write Harlequin romance novels. How did you know? We all know Brad. Oh my gosh, it's so nice to be seen. So let's, let's say you do it. And there's, there's a script, you know, there's a template and it's exactly, it's chapter one, this happens. Within chapter one, the opening paragraph is this. It's a script. And you change uh, the names and the hobbies and the location and the century and it's the same story. And you have to fit that. You do exactly that it to be a Harlequin romance novel. And um, I mean, I remember somebody took, was it, it was a Pocahontas and Avatar and it was the story outline and they just crossed out the names. And in fact, the name of the lead character had the same initials, John Smith and Jake Sully. But it was the exact same story otherwise. So, you know, there are these formulas. Well, if you don't think that AI can't do a really quick, great job of writing a Harlequin romance novel, you'd be mistaken, right? So, I mean, this is the strangeness of our days. It used to be that humans wrote and humans edited. Yeah. And now, then it was humans wrote, but machines could edit. Now it's machines write and humans do the editing, right? The AI writes the book and the human sort of gives it the, the polishing and the touch, which is probably further educating the AI, which, you know, it will learn and get better and better. So in terms of the templated generic schlock, I would I would just say expect much more of that in the world. Expect a flood. I mean, it's already there because it's so easy to do, but there will be, I would imagine, a much greater flood of generic content. That's great for you and I. Because what works is not um, delegating to AI. It's not getting devious and deceptive. It's going deeper. That's always the answer. If you want a long-term sustainable business, you've got to go deeper and deeper in what? Well, in the ethics, because in the long-term word of mouth is how marketing grows. And the thing that will kill that is being unethical. So we have to go deep, deep, deep in the ethics. Number two, in niching. We've got to go deep into in terms of what is it we want to be known for? Can't be everything to everybody. That's never worked, will never work. Third, got to go deep in our point of view. What is the case you want to make for these people struggling with this issue or on making this type of product? What's your stance on all of this? Fourth, business model, really going deep and creating a very solid structure for the business that works really beautifully and easily. And then fifth, the hubs, uh, meaning building relationships with people who could Spread the word, which I know you're so big on yourself. That's what works. Now, modern times, what technologies or tools? You know, I'm on Instagram. That one seems to be uh, working pretty great for a lot of people, but not everybody. 
the email list, I think, is still old reliable. I would still say that the whole purpose of social media, if you have it, is to drive people to your email list, and that's where you do most of the selling and engaging from. Um, the uh, giving people, you know, samples, examples of what you do. So once a month, I do my free first Thursdays. People can call in uh, and just get free coaching, group coaching call. So they can actually see me do it, see if they resonate. Once a quarter, I do my day-long marketing for Hippies 101. It's another way people can check me out. Being interviewed, doing presentations to other people's lists. To me, it's just, I would stick with old reliable. If there's some new, I mean, but you remember, what was that one where it was just chatting? It was just little chat rooms, but it was all audio. Remember oh, Clubhouse. Clubhouse, right? Where did that go? I mean, that was like the most popular thing. Everyone had their secret code to give their friends. There was so much buzz about it. I imagine it's still there. I haven't heard much about it. I haven't heard much about it for probably a year. Right. And, and probably for some niche audience, it might be great. So, of course, it's wise to think, who am I trying to reach? And what's their favorite social media platform? Where do they hang out? If you're going to use social media, that's wise. But the, even the social media is a subset of this hubs conversation because you're basically wondering after where do they go? Where do they hang out? Where are they already putting their attention? And some groups, they're just not on social media hardly at all. So it'd be more that, oh, they go to these live events. They're part of these networks. They are on this email listserv from, you know, 1997 and it's still going this yahoo listserv or they're on a they get a paper newsletter and that's you know when i went to fairfield iowa hit a in their newspaper you could just insert like a eight and a half by 11 get it photocopied or you send it to them and they would just stick it in the newspaper and that's how everybody heard on salt spring of course you got the salt spring exchange yeah um, not traditional social media but boy there's that, and there's a few Telegram threads, and if you want to reach people, that's how. So, if I were trying to do Facebook ads for Salt Spring, I don't think that would work as well as as those things that are that are already there and already used. Or you know, your Celeste's um, her mama's group. You know, yeah. There's certain platforms that are just very robust uh, for a certain community. So it's the same step. I don't see anything changing in marketing. I see uh, a lot of energy about a lot of new tools. This is the thing that's going to turn it all around for you. But I've never been impressed with tactics um, or just temporarily, you know, oh, blogging is the thing. No, writing articles is the thing. No, getting your Patreon is the thing. No, you got to get a YouTube account. No, it's got to be, got to do Instagram. You got to do reels and you got to, you don't got to do anything. You just got to do something. Uh, and it's good to be strategic about it. And, if you've done the deep work on those five things, then no matter what you choose, as long as you're not an idiot about it, as long as it's some level of strategic choice, whatever you choose will work better. But if you don't have those five things, if you don't have the depth there, it doesn't matter how perfect the tool is, it's not going to work. Yeah. Yeah. Amen to that. Um, and coming back to the old-fashioned relationship cultivation practices. That's the whole thing. I mean, you know, and you notice like the, the first four levels of the pyramid, ethics, niche, point of view, business model, that's all internal. That's all, you're just kind of setting the foundation. But then the tip there is, yeah, you're building the relationship, but you're coming with something to yeah. that relationship. 
but in terms of marketing, once we have that those basic four things set, it's all relationships. It's all the trust and uh, credibility and goodwill that you've built over time. Uh, this is what has people forgive you when you make a hopeless blunder. It's why people will email their list about you is because they know you and they trust you. It's why people will refer their friends to you because they trust you. We all have had people we spent money with and we got burned. And not only do we not refer them business, we warn people away. Um, but, you know, when I go to Toronto to do a workshop, the place I've done the most workshops, I send out a couple of emails. Last time I say I sent out a few emails to a Facebook ad, but I got 45 people. and I, I didn't break a sweat. It just rolled into town. And when I asked at the beginning, raise your hand if you've heard about me from at least one person, almost every hand. More than five, five or more people, like hands still going up. So reputation ultimately is the thing. A reputation of relationships. Uh, but we had a reputation from taking care of those relationships. Mm -hmm. uh, when we treat people well, deal well. Yeah, that's that is the fundament. That's the long game. I mean, the short game is here's a bunch of deceptive bullshit. Here's some NLP trans inducing techniques and tricky language and sneaky tactics using scare, false scarcity and urgency and social proof and all of that. It does work in the short term, but it does backfire in the long term once people realize what you've been doing to them. So then you always have to go get new people. Yeah. 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 Which uh, any creator that I've ever met, that's not their favorite thing to do is go get new people. <laughs> like let's build a, a captivated audience that is just excited for the next thing we have to share. Yeah, exactly. Right. So it's, it's we deepen our relationships externally with potential hubs and partners and colleagues, but then also internally in the business with our existing clients. Yeah. That deepening of that relationship and that trust, the staying in touch, the apologizing when we make mistakes. My God, so much of life and business is just apologizing and, and you know, saying I'm sorry and cleaning it up. Uh, so, yeah, there's a lot of that. And then just you keep innovating for your people. You keep trying to make things better. I know with our membership, it's just, it's the constant. How do we make this better? How do we organize this better? How do we make this simpler and easier to understand? How do we make it less overwhelming? One of the thoughts I've actually been having is, I realized this the other day, it's like, I think I need a librarian for my membership because I have so much content. I'm sure you there's, do. I'm sure there's probably like 2000 different articles or pieces in there and they're organized as well as we can. Uh, and I just noticed I'm so busy, I don't have time to get to it. So I'm realizing I may just put out a, a little request for, I need a big, huge marketing for hippies nerd. You followed my work for years. You are very familiar with it. And you would, it's your dream to just organize it and get it together. It's already fairly organized, but I know we could do a lot more. Yeah. And then it's, um, if I think if we do that, then the membership is suddenly more useful for people. Yeah. People can find things just a little bit better and then they stick around longer, right? Because with a membership, of course, that's the whole thing is how long do they stay? Yeah. If they stay three months, that's not as good as six months. That's not as good as a year. And are they going to stay or not is, well, are they getting value from it? Yeah. Beautiful. Well, we're at about that time. Uh <laughs> 
<laughs> this is so fun. I, I love listening to you rift on this topic. You have such an eloquent way of talking about marketing that is very unique from the, uh, the majority of the hoopla that's available on the internet. So um, what, uh, what do you have coming up that you'd like to invite people to come check out? Or what do you have available right now? Yeah, well, I suppose it depends on people watch this. Uh, the membership we've divided into uh, four different semesters. So uh, as of right now, April 5th, um, we're in the point of view marketing semester. So that's what we're talking about till, uh, till the end of June. We're digging in really deep into how do we make this case? How do we articulate our core message so that we take the pressure off trying to convince people to work with us and talking ourselves up to just sharing our ideas and letting that do most of the heavy lifting and marketing. Uh, then the next semester, we'll be talking about business model. How do you structure a business so that it's actually profitable? And then uh, fourth semester, we go into hub marketing. And then uh, next year, the I'm thinking I'm going to change up. And so it's not quite equal semesters. The next year, there's going to be the meantime. And I think I'm going to take that back to just a 30-day blitz. Uh, so instead of three months, it'll just be one month. And that's really focused on cash flow. How do you make money quick? And we'll do that blitz. And then those remaining two months from that semester will be given to point of view marketing. So I think next year, it'll be a, at least a four-month, maybe a five-month semester just focused on, um, on this whole topic of point of view marketing because it's so rich and... Uh, I, there's some clients I've worked with on this for years and we keep finding new levels. So in four or five months, it'd be just fine. Uh, so that's what's coming up next. And if people want to find out more, they can go to marketingforhippies.com slash events. Uh, and there's a ton of free stuff on my website. Well, and I mean, join Tad's community, go to marketing for, go check out the marketing for hippies community uh, and get in on that. Cause it's uh there's a lot of beautiful entrepreneurs and creators inside the space. Um, there's there, you, you do a lot of amazing events inside the community space where there's a lot of live coaching time for people to get access to you and access to the other amazing people that are inside the community. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Uh, yeah. Marketing for slash membership is the current write up on it. So if people want to know details, and of course, if anyone has any questions of if it's a fit or not, just email me tad at marketingforhippies.com. I'm happy to reply. And all of the links will be in the show notes for this. So if you missed all that, just check the show notes and it'll be there. Uh, tad, thank you so much for coming and sharing and for the good work you're doing in the world to help leverage people with good work that needs to be shared. So you're doing, you're doing awesome stuff and it's always great to just connect and share. Yeah, man, you too. Good to see you. Nice to see you too. Take care, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Making Magic Podcast with your host, Bradley T. Morris from Magic Media. If you're inspired to leverage your life's work by crafting your transformational, educational, and inspirational media, thriving online community, profitable membership, or to turn your message into a movement, then head on over to magicmedia.com. That's M-A-J-I-K media.com and explore what our Creators Club or partnership opportunities have to offer you and your beautiful business.